welcome to Mardat Chat. Today we have a special guest, Lewis Clark. Lewis Clark is the Vice President of Marketing, Media, and Public Relations at Deborah Hart and Lung Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Welcome, Lewis. Hey, thank you for having me. Greatly appreciate that. I just had a couple of questions for you. Um, you have a very, very vast background, head of marketing and PR, but you also have experience in social media, journalism, advertising, finance. I'd be really curious to to better understand how with all of this experience, how that influences. How do I get that competitive advantage? How do I make sure it's not just a piece of paper hanging on the wall kind of mentality? So when I was at, at UF, one of the things that I, that I did um, was I changed my major. Um, oh. One of the things I thought to really get some depth and, and knowledge, I'm a public relations uh, practitioner by, by trade. But while I was there, I realized, well, maybe I need to learn more about the reporting, the journalism side. So, you know, for a semester, I went into the journalism school, right? And I got, I got further beyond those intro courses, went over to the business school, went, went deeper into the marketing classes. And so, so I really had a, a you know, I'm going to say a young age, but I really at the very beginning said, you know, I think to be well-rounded, I've got to have more than just what the curriculum and the, that degree is for. You know, I did the graphic design. I'm terrible at that, but I can say, you give me, you give me 10 weeks and I'll get you a flyer made, you know, I mean, it'll be that perfect. So, you know, I figured out where I was good, where I wasn't. And so, you know, being able to take that kind of mindset has really benefited me uh, throughout, throughout my career. I love that. I mean, it's just taking all the things you're good at and even some of the things that maybe you're not as strong and putting it together. So, you know, and and then when I got, got into, I'm going to say one of my, you know, even my first internship, you know, apparently there was, there was information about finance and, and numbers. And I said, wait a minute, I went, I went into public relations. I was hoping to get away from the math, you know, and even during early internships, there was, there was a CFO kind of behind the scenes there asking lots of questions on the, the expenses, the return on the investment. And so, you know, kind of having a little bit of that at a very, you know, early career kind of helped me make sure I was thinking about those, those different departments or those different aspects of, of a business. And that makes sense. You know, at the end of the day, if it doesn't make money, it doesn't make sense. So um, definitely important to, to be thinking about marketing and also that ROI. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. You've talked a little bit about your data and finance and how that kind of uh, helps inform some of the things that you do. How does that help with your success and kind of some of those strategic thoughts that you have about, you know, what you're going to focus on? Yeah, it, you know, I, I joke and I do get emails all the time from different people and the subject line will be everybody's a marketing guy. Um, so, so you have to be thick skin and that's really where I think that ROI comes into play on how, how we really take the data, you know, marketing used to be easy, used to be, you know, do it on the radio, Mm -hmm. traditional TV, newspaper, (laughs) call call it a day, you know, and, and now, um, you know, with the digital world that's around us, you know, the traditional media does, it doesn't go away, but it definitely gives you some insight to say, we do this all the time. We'll, we'll put a direct mail piece in the market and we'll put a tracking phone number. So, so it's kind of one of those dummy, uh, phone numbers, if you will there. Yes, it leads to the, to the right department, to the right endpoint, but it gives us the ability to really track and know, did that postcard, did that direct mail do anything for us? Did it make the phone ring? And I will tell you, probably, you know, the last couple of years, what we've seen is, is the, is the direct mail has a, a one to two year lifespan. So we still have, have people who call back or call on that, that secret phone number 
that we tie it back to a postcard campaign from, you know, one to two years ago. You know, back in the day, if we didn't see an instant spike on a direct mail or a print ad, we'd say, well, maybe it wasn't successful. We really didn't have a way to really gauge that. So when we look at data today, we, we, we take some of the traditional, we, we, we modernize it where, where we can to help us understand what really works, what, what doesn't work. Because, you know, some of that, just the expenses, um, right, that's, that's part of the decision, right? And that's where data is nice because it helps you, it helps me, it helps my team really, I don't want to say justify, but it helps us tell the story better. It helps us understand, uh, you know, in healthcare, yes, for the most part, you, you don't really utilize a lot of healthcare in the younger you know, when you're young, it really does, unfortunately, right? When you hit about 35, 45, 55, you know, there becomes it, you know, and as you get older, you utilize more healthcare. Mm -hmm. People over 65 have cell phones and utilize right. digital. They have emails, right? They utilize those things, you know, so it really becomes for us when people say, well, how come we don't want a print ad when we welcome a new physician? You know, we really look at the data. We say, listen, you know, for a print ad, a one-time print ad and a one-time publication is X amount of dollars. We right. only get two phone calls out of it. That same dollar amount, I can run for 30 days and, and show, you know, it, it gives us 10 times the amount of phone calls. So a lot of it is, you know, more educating on how we do things, why we do things than actually what we do at the end of the day. Exactly. Another question I was wondering about um, something you said once around marketing needs to listen. Um, and I, I, that really resonated with me. A lot of times, you know, you find marketers that are just kind of pushing the latest trends and what's hot for 2023 or beyond. And for you to say that marketing must listen, I'd love to have you kind of expound on that a little bit. You know, what methods or technologies are you kind of referencing? Listening to the patients, maybe listening to the industry, or maybe trying to understand what's available in the technology servicing and how it would actually meet the needs of your organization. Just can you explain sure. a little bit about that? That's a that's a big question. Uh, it is it, a big it, question. <laughs> you know where where to begin? So so I, I think you know, at the core of that listening, I think that's that's the key skill of every marketing person is to really listen. You know, not not just to our I'm gonna call patients or our customers, but even our internal, you know, the different departments that we work with, you know, it might be the C-suite, it might be frontline team members. It's really listening. And so, you know, a lot of times I'll go to meetings and, and I don't necessarily, I don't, I don't need to hear myself talk. So I really go in there and I just listen, right? I try to absorb it, take it all in because usually, and that's how I've always kind of taken the marketing approach is marketing has a good idea of what, what we're trying to accomplish. You know, how do we say it? How do we actually wordsmith it? Marketing overthinks that sometimes, but I've learned by, by listening to my clinical leadership, by listening to that frontline staff, sometimes they say that right key word that never crossed our minds. And it's like, there's the aha moment that we'll take from there and then come up with a great marketing campaign that, that, that goes from there. So when I talk about listening, listening to the patient is so important. I think, I think the past three years have really accelerated the listening uh, need for listening, especially in healthcare, because, because patients, they're, they're consumers, right? They started kind of doing different things throughout the pandemic, right? Zoom, those were words we never heard about before. Telemedicine, right? Th th those were things that were just, they were great theories or concepts or maybe some specialty niches here and there utilized it, but it wasn't really 
embraced or, or across the board there. And, and where I sit, you know, even prior to that, when I said, you know, we use some of the tracking phone numbers and things for different marketing mediums there, that gave us a great opportunity to listen to phone calls, right? So no matter who you call, you call your bank, you call your insurance, right? You call customer service, right? Every time we're going to hear that same prompt, this call may be recorded for quality assurance. Healthcare, we do, you know, we do, we do similar things along those lines there that tease up our patients, potential patients, right, for that kind of mindset there that really helps us because we get to understand. Now we don't record everything, so I don't want them to panic or anything along those lines, right? There's HIPAA, there's all those 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 fun little laws we have to pay, pay attention to. But when we can, it gives us the intelligence, the information there to really kind of hear what's going on. It helps us from a process standpoint. You know, marketing it you know, today, it's great to give new patients or get, get patients in, but at the same time, if your physician is full or the practice is, you know, um, can't take patients for 30, 60, 90 days, why are we still driving more business, more traffic to them? And so that's where marketing really does have to understand some operational stuff to pull different levers is what I kind of call that. But but the technology piece of that, so by being able to listen and understand, and in healthcare, we use two primary sources of listening. One's called HCAPS, which is kind of an inpatient, um, after they've been admitted to the hospital, patients get a survey that's done. So it's done from the inpatient side. We're now doing that in the outpatient side. So once they've had a visit with a physician and their office, you know, it's kind of a, a, a rate your physician. How was your experience? Name an industry, they're all doing that. Healthcare is, is finally starting to do that. And that gives us great listening because over time, it, it starts to really help us understand where we have opportunities, you know, to make that journey. Healthcare is already confusing, already complicated. And that's our job as marketing to hopefully help simplify that, right? Help point out opportunities. You know, we call it service recovery. But again, sometimes it's those little things that if we can just educate the internal folks on opportunities, it goes a long way for, for the patients. And so being able to use different technologies of listening um, really, really helps us at the end of the day. Let's move a little bit to technology. And I love to understand a little bit around your thoughts on, you can even use your own personal examples or your other experiences because you have a lot of, you know, HLS experience. When you think about the technology stack. Now, I worked for some of the largest SaaS companies in the world um, as customer success or heading up divisions of product or deploying them in programmatic and One thing I know is that every organization has their pluses and their minuses. And I always tell my clients, you know, that I partner with, I say to them, it doesn't matter what technology, it doesn't matter the name. Let's forget the technology. Let's figure out what you want to do first. And then we'll assess what works best for you. And sometimes you want to, like Mark Cuban says, you want to crawl before you can ball. You want to figure out, start small. And I say, spend your money slow, figure out what you're trying to do come up with those really concise use cases and then come up with a realistic timeline, which I would say 12 months, because at the end of 12 months is when your boss will approach you and ask, what have you done for me lately? And you have to have something to say. Then you look at those KPIs and you set those up in the beginning. You establish that with the vendor that you're using. You establish that within your organization so you can know along the way, yes, we are successful or no, we're not really quite there yet. And you can course correct. So I would love to understand a little bit about either your current state of your stack, if you don't want to talk about that, like 
generally how you approach sure. the MarTech stack and selection? The way you teed up this question there, you, <laughs> it, it made me pause. Right? I've never thought about this before. So I'm going off with a, a, a non-scripted answer, right? Of course. You know, what, I, what, what made me think about it is I think in my career, because of the time that I, that I started in marketing, these technology companies weren't there. They weren't in existence. Mm-hmm. And so I had to learn processes that were old school, right? Pieces of paper, yeah. right? Very Excel. Excel. <laughs> Track everything in Excel column, month over month, mm-hmm. year over year, quarter over quarter. And what I will say when it comes to technology is I've been in organizations that have said, let's let's buy a big CRM platform. And, you know, we, we spend the money on it, we buy it. And then, you know, we don't really have the right people driving it. So it's a very big expense and you don't have the people connecting the dots. So when I when I think about technology, what the way you said there, I think the Mark Cuban comment there, right? Crawl before you can borrow. I love that. Mm-hmm. That is really how I do approach technology. Every job I've been at, you know, how does marketing, you know, show its return on the investment? So, so even today, you know, we we have a robust website, and and really it's on the back end. Um, I put so much dollars, if you will, on the back end of the website to make sure it can handle attachments, plugins, third party applications. So it doesn't matter because the website is my juggernaut. The website is the robust engine, and then I can add in a a phone call rail type organization or system into it. I can add in a mail uh, system, you know, an email communications platform into the back mm-hmm. of it. But I can I can also then disconnect those and plug in a newer one as, if there's a newer technology or a technology that does a little bit more. Um, you mentioned reputation management earlier. Mm-hmm. We just brought that on about, I, don't know, I think at the end of 2021. So about mm-hmm. it just, just over a year ago. And that was just a plug and play because our website was able to to take on that third party application and just with a few you know um, you know API right we're using buzzwords API connection <laughs> it, it seamlessly went into it. So when we bring technology on, I feel like because I did it in the manual process way, that now when I evaluate technologies, if it can't do at least at what what Excel can give me. Oh. Then I'm like, well, this isn't, it's dashboards. And that's my biggest, you know, pet peeve right now is everybody has a dashboard for everything. With the technology piece, I take a little bit slower approach to it. I am an early adopter to a lot of things, but for me, it's really understanding what's the value going to be, mm-hmm. whether it's a person or the technology, if I can take the process and automate it more, I love that. And there's some things that I still hold on to that is a manual process because I see it in real time. And I will tell Mm -hmm. you where we we sit at, we close 50% of all leads that come through. So that means 50%. In the dashboard, there's that there's that D word shows <laughs> right that they that that we made an appointment request or we 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 followed up with them and we made that. When we actually run it through the accounting side, the number jumps up to about seventy percent. Now ours is real time data, so I don't expect everybody to go back and keep adjusting. You know, hey, uh, person person requested an appointment, we're following up with them, right? So we're attempting the contact. That, that person might call back because that's what we asked them to do is say, sorry that we missed you, call us back. They're not going back into our system and changing that from an attempting contact to appointment made. And that's okay. We don't, we don't want to use it for that. What we really want to use it for is to make sure at a minimum we actually are following up with those, with those leads. So the way our system is structured, we know what's an open 
request versus someone that's being you know managed or at least the process is being done for them. When we run it through our accounting side, that's when we really close that loop to say, okay, here's an even better return or at least closing the, the loop all the way through the process. Once we've done that closing, you know, we strip out some of the names, we strip out some of the HIPAA compliant type stuff, and we share that back with our vendors. We share that back internally through our department to say, hey, here's the elements that really work for the past month, 30 days or, or 60 days. So we kind of were closing that loop all the way back through. Then that's given us the ability to pull different levers, change some of our spends to where we see more of the conversions ultimately taking place. So that's kind of how we use data here. Again, a little bit of a slower approach, but but it works, right? For what I'm being asked to do from, I'm going to say it from the, from the accounting side, from the finance side, that they support it, they understand how it works. So I really do, and I do it actually on a quarterly basis. And that really helps us know how things are progressing of what our spends are really doing and how we can tie that back to specific service lines. And, and so we get, we get that intelligence. I love that approach. And I'll tell you why. What's really good about what you guys are doing there is you know exactly what those outputs are. You know exactly what those KPIs are. You've taken the time to build that foundation. You've taken the time to make sure that everyone on your team understands what goes into the rigor of it and you're not hiding behind the technology. Mm -hmm. So when you do decide to move to an enterprise system, you will be able to lead the conversation when you're sitting down with the vendor, when you're doing that process. And we do that for our clients. You know, we will do the end-to-end RFP, RFI, work with their procurement and their legal, and we'll score all of that for them. And then we'll, you know, do the demos for them. And then we'll make the recommendations for them. And then we'll do the implementation. But what's great about what you guys are doing, you already know what you want. So when you literally go in there and you purchase, you will already know the things that it needs to have. And then you'll be able to accelerate the inputs because you have the KPIs. People already understand the process. So what's going to happen with the system that you bring in, you will be able to go faster because you already have the baseline. And so the technology is just going to get you there faster. It's going to be like the Bugatti versus the Toyota, but you're going to get across the street, right? And it's just more of the bells and whistles. But when you let the bells and whistles lead the conversation versus the whole methodology, then you 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 get lost in it. And then the organization, whether they have 10 people who can run it, whether they bring in managed services like what we do for our clients, or we sometimes train our clients so that they can train their staff. And we're there for just a period of time to get them off and running. <laughs> Having that foundation, you'll evaluate better. You'll go faster, you'll have better output, and then you'll understand if that particular MarTech stack is right for you or if you need to make some adjustments. So I think it's brilliant. Yeah, and it's it's so great to hear that or just even in that thought process because you're exactly right. The more and more the technology becomes, I think, more consumer-friendly or, or user-friendly, mm-hmm. I guess, right? It, it helps. <laughs> right? Also, when the costs come down in some cases, it helps smaller, medium-sized organizations buy it and purchase it, right, and, and be able to utilize mm-hmm. it. So you're exactly right. And and I am a big believer in you got to build a solid foundation. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, when, mm-hmm. I, when I came to Deborah Hart, Lung Center, you know, one of the first things was looking at their website and it, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. No website is bad unless you have a goal or something that, that you're trying to achieve with it, but it wasn't bad. 
but I just knew that it wasn't generating, I thought, what the potential could be. You know, whenever, you know, I hate saying the C word. So the pandemic, whenever it started, you know, that's where I went to my team and said, hey, I know we've got, you know, we've got a 12 month plan to roll out a new website, you know, build it, blah, blah, blah. We're going to condense this time period because right, right now we're communicating safety to our patients and you know the community. But in the meantime, two or three of you, we're going to start going on the website very aggressively. And our, and our web company was like, okay, this, this is good for them. It kept their, their, their team members, you know, employed, engaged. And we rebuilt the website, but we, I knew from the beginning that was going to be that foundation. You heard me say that earlier, mm-hmm. that that's our foundation, traditional, non-traditional all runs through our website. It's like I tell everybody, I mean, healthcare is not a thing that most people, um, you know, we're on a daily basis ingrained in like, Hey, let's, let me see what's happened at the local hospital. Let me see what new technology. No, most people aren't, aren't thinking along those lines there. And so when people do think about the need of healthcare, whether it be primary care, urgent care, something like that, you know, unfortunately they're kind of in that push pull strategy where they're relying on, their, on right. their cell phones. And that's really where I say, that's how healthcare has got to be a part of that conversation is when, is when a consumer needs right. you jump in. And I always joke and say, kind of know us before you need us, right? Know where the hospital yes. is, know what services they have. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not to your own. One of those, you know, uh, journeys is, is really when it matters. That's working, especially in healthcare is unique where we've got to try to position and educate well before we see maybe that patient or that, that person becoming a patient and, and coming into the organization. Well, I, you basically closed it for me, and that's exactly it. I know today here on Mardet Chat, we've been talking about marketing strategies and things you know that to consider and KPIs and that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, the whole purpose of us being here is to provide that information, that knowledge to either the patient or a potential patient and their advocates. And everything that you guys are doing at Deborah is, is allowing that to happen. So thank you for that. And thank you so much for sharing um, these tips. This has been great. Hey, thank you. Appreciate the time.